You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to this episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Richard Franzi, and this is episode number 958. And ooh, do we have a good one for you today. I've invited Dan Radecki. He is the Chief Scientific Officer of Academy of Brain-Based Leadership to come in and talk a little bit about brain-based leadership. You know, his wide-ranging application for brain-based leadership and passion for children and teens makes Dan a leader in his field of neuroscience. Dan Radecki is working as a leader to offer unique perspective on how brain functioning helps leaders in maximizing their work. He joins us today to share how we all can channel our innermost best to offer growth within in our people and our firms. Dan, welcome to the radio show. Thanks, Rick. Great to be here. Let's set context. Tell us a little bit about you and kind of your professional path to this current role. Yeah, well, I started off years ago as a neuroscientist, studying the impact of stress and behavior on people, right? And uh, when I got into the corporate world, it was a little bit surprising how you know, I took it for granted what we know about how the brain drives our behavior and what stress does to us, but that was totally neglected by even the top leaders in the corporate world. And I thought, wow, this is a big unmet need. Okay. And over time, you know, this this bubbled within me, and eventually I met, um, I, I came in contact with the Neuroleadership Institute and um, was able to work with them for about five years, creating educational component of basically saying, you know, this is what your brain, this is how your brain works, mm-hmm. these are the limitations, this is how you manage it, and as a leader, this is important to understand. So neuroleadership, Dan, to me, seems to be bringing scientific proof to what has been termed the soft skills it, it in is, many it really aspects is. of leadership. And it's gratifying for me, because this okay. is something I've thought about for a long time. And to be able to go up and talk to leaders and say, without any preconceived notions of me saying, okay, I'm a neuroscientist, this is sort of second nature, but even in the C-suite, they don't. They don't think about this, right? So they right. don't think about the fact that, you know, you have this archaic brain and some of the things that you do and some of the behaviors you display maybe aren't optimal for leadership for your people. You used the word in the earlier answer, neglected, that the leadership was neglecting this. Does that mean they were aware of it and they, cho- they chose to ignore it? Or was it that wasn't even up on their radar screen where they were aware that their behaviors were having the exact opposite impact yeah, of what they I had mean, intended? It's, it's unintentional. Okay. I don't think there's any malicious intent. Okay. It's right. just not being educated about this. And it, it, it permeates society. If you look at what happened with the elections, you can see some similarities in terms of how people responded to the candidates and how uh-huh. the candidates put their messages out there. And it was very much what we see in the leadership realm in the C-suite. So it's, it's nothing neglectful on the part of the leaders. So what has happened, either from a cultural or a technological perspective, <clears throat> that has allowed this field to kind of advance so rapidly coming from from a medical profession into the business line. What, yeah. what is that? What's happened there? I think people are looking for new ways to solve these old problems. And I think what I've seen over the past eight, nine years is that our business world, our global economy is moving so quickly. And we now have access to data and people 24-7. And there's a lot of pressure. 
there's a lot of pressure to do things quicker and smarter. So people are now open to, you know, I know the phrase emotional intelligence is yes. over, it's overused, right? right? But people are open to this now because we're starting to be able to show, hey, here's some actual MRI pictures of what happens when you're emotionally intelligent or when so you're, you're saying, mindful. So you're saying you can bring in scientific proof? This is the key. <laughs> this, is, this is the key because I, I know it's funny, but it we're is. a skeptical society, right? Yeah, yeah. especially and in this area. It is, definitely. And if you can go to a leader, if you can go to the C-suite and say, here's a peer-reviewed article saying that if you are more emotionally intelligent, your people are going to perform better, well, then they're going to listen. Whereas right. in the past, they'd say, the word emotion doesn't belong in business. I don't yes. want to hear about it. Right. Tell them to suck it up. <laughs> yeah. It's me exactly. being me. I mean, there, there are so many bad habits that leaders were allowed to have because they were the boss. Yeah, exactly. And the problem with that is they use that as an excuse yes. for getting where they got. Yes. When, in fact, they might have got there in spite of these habits. They could have wow. achieved more things if they would have realized what they were doing wrong. See, a lot a lot of my audience, I specifically program the show for CEOs and leaders of companies with 5 to $100 million because I find they have very complex businesses, but many times they don't have the rich resources exactly. that their larger competitors have. Yeah. Um, and so this type of information to help them, it really can make a difference because in many of those organizations, they have a personal relationship with most of the people that work for them. And, and it's funny you mentioned that because most of the, we started this Academy of Brain-Based Leadership less than two years ago, and we've had overwhelming response for people coming to us wanting answers, right? And most of them have been these mid-sized companies wow. because of exactly what you're saying. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So they can influence the entire organization exactly. rather than a they can see segment, it. a pocket of it. Do you see in the work that you're doing with these leaders that a change in behavior gets a change in response? We see that as long as the change in behavior, what seems to be the differentiating factor is if that change in behavior isn't just something you tell them to do. If they come to this own conclusion or this the leader. insight, the leader, okay. the leader, if they have this insight themselves, if you educate them and then they come to the conclusion themselves, that behavior is going to be cemented in and it's okay. going to change, it's going to last. As opposed to the old way, we're saying, here, it's your performance review, here's your development plan, do this. <laughs> That doesn't work. Right. Do, do you find that any segment of the population comes to this more readily than another, a younger demographic, a gender thing? I mean, is there any, any science behind that? There seems to be a difference with the generations now. Okay. Um, with the millennials, they're very much more passionate about their work. They're not about the pay or the benefits necessarily. They're about the purpose. It seems that the, the baby boomers and to some extent Gen X is a little bit different than that. And so whereas the older generations had a different motivating factor mm -hmm. and they were the old school right. and they, they, it was about hard work and about putting in the hours, the millennials are a little bit different now. So we actually see the difference, the challenges within big organizations when you have the millennials coming up and starting to be leaders. They, eat, they love this. They love the okay. neuroscience. Okay. Yeah, and many times they're leading other millennials or maybe exactly. Gen Ys. Or, Gen Y. Yeah, okay. Uh, we're talking with Dan Radecki, and we're talking. He's the chief scientific officer for the Academy of Brain-Based Leadership. One more co uh, question, then we're going to take a break, uh, and then we'll come back and we'll continue the conversation for a while more here on Critical Mass Radio Show. Okay, i got about two minutes. So we got about two minutes. i got a two-minute question for you. <laughs> you got a two-minute answer in there? I guess so. Uh, okay, let's hope so, right? If not, we'll carry it over to the, to the next segment. When you are showing leaders the fact that some of their natural tendencies are counterproductive, yeah. is there one in particular tendency 
or one uni- one like easy low hanging fruit that you say we, you know universally if you just stop doing this you're going to see a gain in and how people respond to you yes i think the biggest one that we found well first of all so you don't get this response from them which is defensive which is saying oh i did it wrong the whole time is that we okay. we have the saying that it's not you it's your brain okay because your brain is going to dictate this. It's not you personally. That's liberating. Yeah, it is. Right. And it helps. It just helps people to distance right. themselves from the situation. Right. I am not only my brain. My brain is just a part of me like my heart is, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And I think one of the things that we've seen that seems to be the low-hanging fruit is this mentality, particularly from the older leaders and the C-suite, uh, of putting in the hours and the multitasking. Where, you know, it, in fact, this was interesting. When I first uh, put job descriptions together for a former company, multitasking was considered something that was favorable. You had to be able to multitask. <laughs> and that that is carried wow. forward. And then in this, the way that, that we now know stress impacts the brain and impacts performance, okay. this multitasking and not having a work-life balance, it's become a big issue. Really? Particularly since we have, like I said, access to phones and internet and everything 24-7. Can so a human truly multitask? You can't do it in, in the sense that we want to, where you're doing two yeah. high-level things at the same time. Okay, we're not like a computer that can truly process no, two no, separate... No, we were. You can chew gum and, and, and think at the same time, but, right. but one of those is done non-consciously. Right. So trying to put two high-level things in the conscious at the same time just doesn't work. Okay. You get diminishing returns. Okay, so... As you can see, ladies and gentlemen, we can go in a lot of different areas with this gentleman, and I, and I am really just picking at my own personal curiosities and what I think you might be most interested in. Don't go anywhere. We're going to take a very short commercial break. It's one little commercial for me. It's like 60 seconds. So if you're listening to us on the live stream here on octalkradio.net, don't go anywhere. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher or one of the other podcasting services, you don't really even have to hit the skip button because we're going to be back that quickly. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about neuroleadership with Dan Radecki. Be right back after this word for me. If you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sounding board to test ideas and concepts, review plan and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. Um, welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Richard Franzi. You know, a great way to stay informed about wonderful guests like Dan is to sign up for our weekly newsletter. Simply go to my website, Critical Mass Radio Show. I'm sorry, Critical Mass for Business. I'm off script there. At the bottom of any page, any page on Critical Mass for Business, there's a join our mailing list box. Just type in your email address. And like magic, you'll start receiving our weekly, just once a week, newsletter that talks about the great guests with some insights from me. We don't do anything else with your email other than subscribe you to the weekly newsletter. All right, Dan Radecki, we're talking about neuroleadership. Where did this get its start? How, how did neuroleadership and brain-based leadership mm-hmm. go from academia into business world? Was Who were the thought leaders that brought that into the well, I think there was a, a it was sort of a, a confluence of a lot of 
organizations and a lot of academia. Really, um, one of the people who were key to this is it's pretty local. Matt Lieberman at UCLA, mm. who has a social cognitive neuroscience lab there. And then there was some uh, contribution from Columbia University, Kevin Oxner. David Rock wrote a book about this, and that's actually how I came about about the organization. So it really was this When idea, was that? This was in 2009. So relatively recently. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, okay. And, and actually, so the, the origins of the field go back to years before that. It's been over a decade now okay. that it's been around. Is this a global it is. As a matter of fact, it's taken off ex-U.S. compared to the U.S. And I think, again, it goes back really? to the idea that we're very skeptical in this country. We're very data-driven. And it, it took off in Australia. In fact, when we started doing our classes where we educated people, it was it was accredited through a university in London. It was ten, four, four ten-week sessions, very rigorous, and then a okay. master's program. And this was all – most of our students were from Australia and Europe and South Africa. In and, brain-based leadership? In brain-based leadership. And then it migrated to the U.S. And so um, – it's, I'm, I, you know, we have, we tend to have these biases where we think things are the way they are because it's what we see. It's seen through the lens of our brain. Yes. When in reality, I go to places in the U.S. here and people have no clue about this. And I'm always shocked because I think, well, you're a high-performing Fortune 500 company. Right. No clue. And, and so what is it about the brain that makes this study so important for leaders to understand? I mean... Yeah, that's not a well-worded question, but do you know where I'm trying to go with yeah, it? Okay. Yeah, I, I do. And, and it's, um, it's interesting because in, in a simplistic manner, we teach this to eight-year-old kids. So it's easy just to say we all have a brain. So we're all subject to these limitations that neuroscience tells us about our brain and our behavior and our decision-making. And so I think probably the thing that, that we talk about the most is a very simple concept that our brain, think about evolution, our brain is not nearly evolved to the point that our society has yet. So if you think about how much society's evolved, let's say just in the past 500 years, which is a blip in the evolutionary timeline, our right. brain hasn't evolved at all in that time. So we still have this old brain that's constantly scanning the world for danger. And our brain is literally wired to pick up danger and threat and react to it really quickly. Okay. And so by just understanding that, then you can imagine what happens when you put someone in a state of uncertainty if you say to them okay we're going to have your performance review rick and you know come to my office at 10 o'clock and uh, i'm going to go over the feedback (laughs) right there i just (laughs) right now i just put you in this state of threat because of all this uncertainty and 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 you don't realize it because it's done non-consciously but this is this is what happens so i have i have a physiological reaction to that that i may not even be consciously aware of you won't be conscious of it because our brain one of the things revolution is our brain is become very adept at being efficient and the best way to be efficient is to let all this stuff that's going on happen beneath the surface okay because we need to maintain that higher brain for the important stuff like you know figuring out if my pizza crust is gluten-free or stuff like that they're really critical stuff right so uncertainty is a big risk factor that puts people into into a fear state it's huge and so what we've done what we do is we work a lot with leaders and companies and try to establish what drives them from this threat factor what what is it because we have a lot of social threats that we've realized from the neuroscience literature what is it that you for you particularly drives you and and raises a red flag in your brain and says "Uh oh there's a threat here for some people it's a sense of autonomy i don't have sense of control so that really raises a threat for me for some it's fairness for some it's the sense of esteem so we came up with a safety model which basically speaks to that and there's an an assessment to take to really look at 
what are your drivers that, that trigger your stress response? And then once you realize this, once you have self-awareness around this, it makes a big difference. And that's something that the leader needs to know because not everybody can be put into threat uh, based on the same drivers is what exactly. you're saying. So then you have to customize your messaging around knowing yeah. they're hypersensitive or more sensitive in an area. And, and for your listeners, I would urge you to look at the recent research that Google did. They published it a couple, well, actually last year. And uh, the Google Analytics looked at what is the biggest predictive factor for a high-performing team. So Google analyzes everything, right? <laughs> and they took 200 teams, a couple thousand people, and what they found was psychological safety was the one thing that drove, that predicted high-performing teams. So how do you establish yeah. psychological safety? Yeah, how do you establish? Well, You're the expert. Well, well what, it, what it comes down to, if, <laughs> if you look at it, is it's the sense within a team that you can be yourself. That you have okay. you have the latitude to make mistakes without people jumping on you without with wow. retribution, and that you have a sense of trust within your group. It wasn't about if people had PhDs or MDs or Ivy League education. It was about the psychological safety. Man, you so, could go all the way back to an eight year old, right? I mean, you could go all the way. Yes, exactly. And and so this so how do you so then the sixty four million dollar question is how do you establish psychological safety? How do you identify if you have it or not, and then how do you establish it? And that's right. what we work on. To trying to do that with, with leaders. And lo and behold, it extends to everyone, not just the C-suite, to your relationship with someone, to your relationship with your child. Is I mean, psychological safety, once established, fragile or resilient? It's more resilient once people understand what the limitations are and how they got there. Okay. So if I know, here's a great example, if I know that I'm really big on autonomy, okay, I need to be in control of everything. And, I, and then I realize that you're not big on it. It's going to cause some conflict with us. Right, because you think you're giving me something good. Exactly. The trust I, of being autonomous. Yep, and I'm and, going, Duh. And I'm not going to micromanage you, but you want micromanagement. I'd like a little more direction, Dan. So if I'd have, but if I didn't know about that autonomy disconnect here, we'd still, still be going back and forth. Right. And that's I've actually seen that. And that was a personal experience of mine. Was really? My, my aha moments years ago to think, wow, we really need to figure out what's driving people. Because you had the autonomous situation with yourself or with an no, employee? My whole group as scientists were very big on autonomy <laughs> that's the way we are and we had a new person in the group uh-huh. who wasn't but we didn't know that okay so she struggled and she was having a difficult time until i finally did a, an assessment on all the team members which we have now and i said oh wow i've been i've been managing her totally wrong and so so is this assessment accessible to yeah the, it's to an to online assessment that okay. we've completed and validated and and so that's one of the tools that we use to be able to help diagnose what your drivers are, and then to do something about it, which is the important part. Okay, so they, so we're, I'm going to ask for like a website from you here yeah. in, in a couple minutes. Off of that site, will they be able to find this assessment? Yes. Because yeah. my, my audience, being lifelong learners, are always interested in validated tools that can actually help them to improve their performance. This and sounds like one it. of them. I love to hear that, Rick, because what we know from the neuroscience research is that you have to have that growth mindset, which is... Which right. is what your learners have, and that's critical for life. Right. Yeah. So they can pick that up on our our website, um, and it's very easy to do. So, uh, where do you see neuroleadership and, and the study of brain based leadership going, Dan? I think, and this is gratifying for us personally, myself, Leonie Hall, who's our COO, and Phil Dixon, who's our CEO. What drives us is bringing this to the masses. You know, we started this years ago, and we saw it worked. We see the tangible results in the corporate world, but now. People are coming to us, like I said, and, and we're, for the first time, with a colleague of mine, Jennifer McCusker, we're going to start a brain-based camp for kids next oh, that, summer. Wow. Because our idea is, I think the, the future is, yeah, we're building better leaders now who are leaders, but what if we could get it the gen- next generation yes. at a young age? Yes. And, and so here's a crazy thought. What if 
as a byproduct of teaching them better leadership, they become better people, better society, less bias, things like that. Wow. That's so a, that's, that's I, a noble goal. It, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty lofty goal, but we're hoping that um, this is something that comes to fruition at some point. It is interesting because the, the brain is, as far as I know, layman's terms, the only organ we have that talks to us, right? <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, we say you got to listen to my God or mm-hmm. my heart, you know, whatever, but actually that dialogue, and it, and it sounds like that dialogue needs to have some level of education and, and, and interpretation put into it because yeah. we're really not maybe even speaking to ourselves correctly because we don't understand how the brain is working. Yeah. yeah, we're on automatic pilot a lot. And that's, that's from evolution, that's good. We need right. to be an automatic pilot. But once you realize how much you're an automatic pilot, you can start to question some of your biases. And you can start to move the needle in terms of improving the way your brain functions. One of the things that I believe I, I've learned previously in this field is that the human condition can be put into threat a lot faster than reward. Oh, yeah. And it takes a lot longer to come out of threat then the, the sense of reward lasts. It's estimated there's about five times as many networks in the brain that deal with threat than deal with reward. Wow. So Yeah, we are hardwired so you think for this. Hardwired, and it makes sense from evolution. Right. Because if you didn't assume that that noise in the bushes was a saber-toothed tiger, yes. and you just were less fair about it and said, oh, that's birds, <laughs> and you got eaten, you didn't pass on your gene pool. <laughs> so it's why, but, but the crazy thing is we don't <laughs> need funny. that these days, right? As we much. don't need that. We don't live moment to moment about it, worried about our survival, but our brain doesn't know that. So it still reacts the same way. So until a couple million years from now, when our brain evolves to match the society, Is that how long it's going to take? Probably. <laughs> probably, wow. probably. When we talk evolutionary changes, we're talking tens of thousands of years. Okay. So, yeah. But neural leadership can help you compensate for that in the meantime. That's what we're trying to do. It's a, it's a stopgap. It's a Band-Aid. Right. <laughs> because we're stuck with this brain, so let's figure out a way to manage it better. Right. And I've found in my community here, leaders in Orange County and kind of through the global community with the radio show, that once people learn a new tool... They can they can rapidly reframe a lot of things that are historically been in place in their yeah. company because now they have the shared awareness that they can look at things almost like dispassionately and and take some really uncomfortable moments that have become cultural and and remove them or reduce them significantly. Is that is that your experience? That's the key. Actually, and when and what I found, I think it may be as simple as putting language around this. Yes. If you could say, if I could say to you in that example I gave, it said, uh, you say, Dan, you're challenging my sense of autonomy by doing this. Or you're giving me too much sense right. of control, and it's triggering my my response, and I'm under a state of threat. And now that I'm under a state of threat, my stress response is through the roof. And stress, by the way, actually deteriorates the higher brain. So yeah. I can't think creatively right now because exactly. I'm, I'm worried. So what we find is it creates that language. And I've even wow. heard it from eight-year-old kids in their own way. I, I agree. I think this is – this. I'm always – wanting to take the things that we've learned here on the radio show or that I see in the critical mass community and and bring it to the younger people because I think how much how much easier in some ways would their life be oh, if gosh. they had this at a younger age, yeah. right? If, yes. if it's beneficial to us now in our 40s and 50s, imagine mm-hmm. if we were 10 or 15. <laughs> the one thing I hear from people after they go through this uh-huh. is they say, especially when we talk about managing emotions, emotional regulation, they say, I wish I just had a little bit of this when I was going through puberty. <laughs> Because it would make a big difference. And on that note, Dan Radecki, <laughs> how does someone learn about your organization? How do they find the Academy of Brain-Based You could Leadership? just go to our website, www.academy-bbl.com. Okay. Academy Brain-Based Leadership. And the assessment we talked about is there? Assessment, as well as the- information on the assessment, and we have an educational program now. And as I said, we're starting a whole bunch of different initiatives. So it's pretty exciting. I think this is, for the kind of 
audience that listens to the Critical Mass Radio Show, this is so much worth the effort to take time to learn about because yeah. I, I think it is transformative to their organizations. And my sense is their personal quality of life goes up. That's the byproduct. We all have a brain, so you, you take your brain home with you. If it works in, in the corporate world, it's going to work at home. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for being a friend of the program. Sure. Welcome to the Critical Mass community. I really appreciate the time you spent Thanks. with us here Anytime, today. Thanks. Anytime, Rick. This I've is totally enjoyed it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to wrap up another episode of the Critical Mass Radio Show. I want to thank our engineer for today, Paul Roberts. Our producers are Joan Park, Crystal Nunley, and Haley Stern. I'm your host, Richard Franzi. If you'd like to learn more about the radio show or the firm that I lead and the CEO peer groups that I chair, visit my my website, criticalmass, M-A-S-S, for F-O-R, business.com. And until the next show, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.